And turn, please, in your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. We're going verse by verse through the book of Romans. We're trying to go quick enough that we don't bog down. Uh, later on, I promise you, we will bog down for a while. We'll have to, okay? But the first part, we can go through a little quicker than we will be able to some of the middle parts of Romans. And so last week, it'd be good to remind ourselves last week of where we ended. And where we ended was in Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, which actually become the thesis statement for the entire book of Romans. The book of Romans is the proclamation of the gospel. And so when we read Romans, we're reading the gospel in really an expanded form. We're reading a gospel that would be very much probably like many of the sermons that Paul himself preached. So, Romans chapter 1, verse 16 for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it, that's in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. And of course, those were the words that sparked Martin Luther by God's grace uh, to become a key figure in the Reformation. And so very important words. We'll be looking at them again in an expanded way as we go through the book of Romans. But you know, today we start a new section, verse 18, for the wrath of God. And that is the thesis now for what we have. For this the rest of this chapter, the wrath of God. Chapter 2, the wrath of God. Chapter 3, the wrath of God, all the way up to verse 21, where then we start seeing the righteousness of God once again. And this is the gospel. Believe it or not, it's the gospel. The bad news is necessary before we have the good news. And the gospel means good news. But the bad news is necessary first. Men, women, even children, need to know that they are sinners and that they need to come humbly before a holy God. And the wrath of God is real. And the wrath of God is true. And Paul's going to tell us some exacting things that the wrath of God abides upon. Then we get into chapter 2, and we're going to see the wrath of God upon self-righteous Jews that are trying to work their way to heaven. And then we'll go back to, after that, back to the wrath of God upon the Gentiles who know not God. And that's the way the Bible looks at the world, by the way. The, the Bible is certainly not anti-Semitic at all. I mean, Jesus Christ himself was a Jew. The Apostle Paul, a Jew. The Apostles, all of them Jews. So to have any kind of anti-Semitism, it would be ridiculous. But the truth of the matter is, the greatest opponents of first century Christianity for the first um, 30 years at least, were Jewish. And so that's why we see some of the things we do. Of course, the Lord Jesus Christ ministering to the Jewish people. Jewish people need the gospel. Jewish people need the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. And that becomes the theme from Romans 1:18 all the way to 3.20. And then in 3.21, Paul begins to explain the righteousness of God that comes through faith. 
So, you know, an old saying that you can remember, the truth will set you free, right? That's what the Bible says. The truth will set you free. But then you can add a little addendum. It's going to make you miserable first. <laughs> okay. The truth will set you free, but when you find out the truth, it's going to make you miserable first, you know. But there is balm in Gilead. There is salvation for those that look to Jesus Christ the Lord. So the righteous live by faith, verses 16 and 17. No matter the wickedness around them, the righteous live by faith. No matter the persecution that may come, the righteous live by faith. No matter if the world mocks and calls the Christian ignorant. And they will. And they will. The just shall live by faith. There is a false faith that exists. We talked about that last week. A temporary faith that's not real faith at all. It's the kind of faith that will always fail when persecution comes or trials come. Or in the case of America, when the gods speak. Science. One of our gods. Science. Science falsely so-called. Science that can contradicts the word of God. False and temporary faith cannot stand in the wis- against the wisdom of man. Now, the Corinthians needed the message because of the culture that they lived in. We're talking about Romans here, yeah, right. Now, the Romans, this, this is the message the Romans are going to receive. But the Corinthians lived in a culture that was just as bad as Rome, maybe even worse, And um, we're going to see the culture that we're talking about here as we read this particular passage. And I'm not going to take you there, but 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul deals with this issue. And uh, later on, not now, don't do this now, but later on you might want to read 1 Corinthians 1, 18 through 31 to get an idea, a background of what this is all about. And just one little verse in there says, The foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. Now, is God foolish? Well, of course not. But some people think that that's the case, that this whole God thing is foolishness. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, who they think that they're wise. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. In no way is God ever weak. We know that. But if you read it in context, you'll understand why he says it. So, the message I've entitled, Christians Living in Babylon. And why in the world would I call it Babylon? Especially since this particular chapter doesn't say a word about Babylon. Okay. Well, we'll try to explain it as we go here. But let me just read to you verses 18 through 22. Romans 1, verse 18 For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and godhood, so they are without excuse. Because, although they knew God, They did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Okay. Now, we could easily have an entire sermon on those verses right there. 
I'm choosing to, to begin here on a broader scope, okay? So we're going to make some observations from these verses here. I think they're pretty clear what they're saying here. But verse 18 contrasts uh, God's righteousness with man's unrighteousness. God's truth, known but suppressed. Known but suppressed. Held down, pushed down. Uh, I was given an illustration yesterday by someone who will remain nameless because they asked me to be nameless. And they heard it from someone else. But what does it mean to have the, the truth suppressed? And the illustration given is, okay, they didn't have beach balls back in the Bible days, did they? But we have beach balls today. So you take a big beach ball, blow it up, put it in the pool, and jump on it. And down it goes. Some of us more than others. <laughs> but down it goes, you know. You're suppressing something. You're pushing it down is what the Greek word is talking about. And then, of course, you move and it pops up and even flies in the air maybe a little bit, you know. Okay, that's what the whole idea of suppression is. Suppressing the truth, burying the truth. It's more than ignoring it. It's actively trying to stop it. And that's what unrighteousness does. Who suppress the truth in unrighteousness because what may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has shown it to them. And then verse 20 for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen. How can something invisible be clearly seen? Well, because you can know it. Okay. You can see the sun. You can see the moon. Becky was just telling me last night, oh, look at the moon. It's so beautiful. And I was too busy and I didn't look. <laughs> so I missed it. <laughs> okay. But the sun, the moon, the stars... The earth itself and just the wonder and beauty of it. It just screams, there's a creator. There's a force behind that made all of this. And yet men still refuse to believe. They believe a theory in America. They believe a theory that everything kind of made itself. Or, and this has happened in certain cultures still, and has been very, very prevalent uh, throughout the history of the world, men begin to worship the sun that God has made. Men begin to worship the moon that God has made. Men begin to worship the earth that we live upon. And they worship the elements like fire and water. And, and, and they worship these things. And a volcano explodes. And they try to appease the gods. Okay, this, this is just the history of mankind turns the truth of God into a lie, is what it amounts to. We're a little more sophisticated than that. So our lies sound a little bit more plausible to us. But they're still lies. Because there is a creator, and God is the creator. And you and I, my friends, and, I, and, and even if you're lost, this is true for you. You're made in the image of God. God made us. And God put within us that desire to worship. We have it within us. And we will worship. We'll worship something. We'll worship these other things that are, I just mentioned a few moments ago. Or we'll worship some philosophy. We'll worship some idea. 
And maybe most of all, we'll worship ourselves. For that's what we really care about. And that's when the bottom line comes, you know. My comfort is what's most important. So all you ladies that got mad at the toilets that wouldn't flush, you know. <laughs> no. That was a joke. <laughs> Nobody laughed. I'm so sorry. <laughs> that wasn't in my notes, by the way. <laughs> but in all honesty, we do care about our own comfort, you know, so much, and uh, to care for ourselves. Well, men cannot deny what they see. They can deny the invisible attributes of God, but they cannot deny what they see, that there is a creation, that there is a world. This world is, is marvelously made. We are marvelously made. The animals, you know, it's just amazing how they interact with the environment, you know. Well, when preaching to the Jews, the Apostle Paul would usually go right to the Old Testament scriptures and show Christ from the Old Testament. Why didn't he go back to creation? Because the Jews had no problem believing that God created. They, had no, they believed that. They understood that. Paul, but then the, and if they didn't, they are not reading their Bible because the Old Testament talks about God as creator again and again and again and again, almost on every page. It, it comes up over and over again. We sang a couple of psalms today. And as we sang those psalms that were taken from uh, the book of psalms, they weren't literal translations, but they were uh, trans, transposings of, of the ideas that were in the psalms. The creation came up again and again. The Jews knew that. Okay. But the Gentiles didn't know that. So what did Paul do when he preached to the Gentiles? Mars Hill's a good example. He goes, right, I'm going to tell you about the unknown God, the God that made everything. Okay. And that's where he'd start with the Gentile people. Well, in verses 21 through 23, the bottom line is simply this. False worship and idolatry in all of its forms, whether it be idols, or whether it be philosophy, or whether it be science falsely so called, as the Bible puts it, or man's worship of himself, these things are all unrighteousness. Uh, just to bring it to home, and I'm really going to avoid politics as much as I can, but some things just have to be said. Much of what we see in the entire global warming agenda, whatever you think of that, we ought to admit that some of it has gone way beyond anything that uh, being a good steward of the earth is what the Bible teaches. We should be good stewards of the earth. We should. But it goes way beyond that and goes right to the heart of idolatry of the earth itself. The very earth that God has given us and to give us to enjoy and to use properly and take care of, it just goes far beyond that to a religion itself. And the most wicked sin, you say, what's the most wicked sin that there could be? I posit to you it's the one that comes up over and over and over and over again in the Bible. It's idolatry. Idolatry. Putting something and giving glory and honor to something 
besides the true and living God. And that's why I've called this Christians living in Babylon. Babylon is a prime example of false worship. It's a prime example of pride. It's a prime example of worship of self. In ancient times, like in the book of Joshua and Judges, it was the Canaanites and later the Philistines that uh, were the prime example. But by the time of Isaiah and Jeremiah, it was Babylon. And interestingly enough, by the time of John and Paul, Babylon no longer existed. Babylon was long gone from this earth. In fact, the book of Isaiah prophesied that Babylon would cease to exist. And yet, we get into the book of Revelation, and there's Babylon again showing up. And we posited to you, and, and most of you weren't there for the series, but we posited to you in that series that Babylon represents anti-Christian, anti-God cultures. For it was Babylon that destroyed the temple and carried the Jews away into captivity for 70 years. And they leveled the temple. And what happened in 70 AD? The Romans come in and leveled the temple and destroy the city. You know? Not much is said in the New Testament about Babylon, except in the book of Revelation. Except Peter says something very interesting in 1 Peter chapter 5. He sends greetings from Babylon. What did he mean by that? Well, uh, theologians and uh, scholars argue, you know, about what it might mean. Well, maybe he was calling Rome Babylon. And he'd have been right if he did, because of the wicked culture. Or maybe he was calling Jerusalem Babylon. And maybe he was, and he'd be right if he was, because the culture had turned against God. In fact, that's the place where Jesus Christ was rejected, you know, and God would uh, punish them, of course. Well, Babylon was a city-state, but its idea still continues. And so the Apostle John uses Babylon as a symbol of present-day wickedness in his day, and it becomes present-day wickedness in every culture. And Christians, we live in that kind of a culture, wherever you happen to be. You know? Babylon is against all true religion. Babylon rejoices in gross immorality and wickedness. Babylon stands against all that we as Christians stand for. Babylon is anti-God, anti-Christ, anti-morality. And Babylon goes beyond just anti-morality. It goes pro-immorality. You know? Rome in Paul's day was a perfect example of Babylon, just as was with the wicked city of Corinth and the entire Gentile world who did not know about Christ and Christianity until a missionary would come and tell them the truth. And Babylon is still with us today, now maybe more than ever, in America, 
we find ourselves living in the immorality of what we could call Babylon. And now we're going to read that as we go through the rest of the passage, starting at verse 24. But let me just say this, by way of observation, you know, things can happen really, really fast. Things can change really fast. They really can. They can change for the good really fast, and they can change for the bad very fast, too. Ten, I, I read a lot of stats that I'm not going to bring you. I want to bring you the Word of God, not stats. But one rings in my mind. I just have to mention it to you. The, the person that was writing the article said, Ten years ago, you probably didn't know anybody that was transgender or anything like that. It existed, but you probably didn't know much about it. But with the publicity of the day and the indoctrination that's taking place, it's been said that 2% of all teenage girls uh, aspire, either do or aspire to be transgender. Talking about teenage girls, 2%. That's massive, that's huge, that's horrible, it's terrible. It's indoctrination that's starting all the way into the very youngest grades and on up into the higher grades too. I'd posit to you that it's Babylon. And I have some scriptures here to read. Let me just read. They're on your outline. Revelation 14, 8. Another angel followed saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she had made all nations drink of the wine of her wrath, of her fornication. And, of course, that had already happened uh, more than 500 years previously. But um, it's symbolic, and it's taken from Isaiah 21, 9, which says, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, and all the carved images of her gods, he has broken to the ground. And notice Revelation uses fornication or sexual sin. Isaiah uses idolatry or false gods. And fornication in this context has to do with spiritual adultery and spiritual idolatry. Revelation 18, 9. The kings of the earth who committed fornication and lived luxuriously with her will weep and lament for her when they see the smoke of her burning. John Bunyan used the same kind of imagery in his Pilgrim's Progress, but he called it Vanity Fair instead, a place of wickedness and even persecution. Faithful, his companion, was executed there. Babylon represents wicked human culture, and Babylon always falls and is always destroyed. Yet, it never ceases to exist. It's still around and still goes on and will until the day the Lord Jesus Christ returns. But don't forget, just as God had a faithful remnant of the Jewish people as they were transported in slavery to Babylon in this new covenant age, God has a faithful remnant for himself from former citizens of Babylon and to those that he's made to be his children. And so we'll talk about that before we're done. Okay, verse 24. I'm going to read the whole thing and then we're going to go through it very quickly. Okay, verse 24. Therefore God also gave them up. And here's the key words here. Gave them up, gave them up, gave them up. Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. I've changed my mind for lack of time. I'm going to just read 
a couple verses at a time and deal with them that way. Okay, so reading the whole thing. God gave them up to uncleanness. That's a technical term, uncleanness. It doesn't seem like it. Uh, your Bible might say impurity, and that's fine too. That's a, also a good translation of this particular Greek word. But um, as we look at that, what it's talking about is in the Septuagint, which is the, the Greek translation of the Jewish scriptures, this word uncleanness has to do with false kinds of worship. And it's used more than a few times. This very same Greek word is used to talk about false types of worship and worship that is wrongly attributed. So, you know, this is what we're talking about here. We're talking about worship. God gave them up to uncleanness, to the wrong kinds of worship in the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Dr. J.W. Fesco writes, and I have it quoted in your outline, what ultimately lies at the heart of God's judgment is false worship. Man turns to worship the creature, and man turns to worship himself. If unchecked, sinful, idolatrous man will look into the proverbial mirror, fall in love with himself, worship himself, and engage in idolatry through unnatural sexual relations. Sinful humanity, male and female, turns and worships itself and becomes smitten with its own image. Well, you know, unnatural relations can never be right. Fornication can never be right. Adultery can never be right. Sexual perversion can never be right. In Babylon, sexual deviation is permitted, even lauded and praised, as long as a person is freely expressing himself. But you know, these things are a lifestyle. Why are they promoted so openly? Because we're talking about a lifestyle. A person expressing who they happen to be. And it's a lifestyle that will consume them. Consume their very life. Verse 26. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of women, burned in their lusts for one another. Men with men, committing what is shameful, and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. You know, it, it's very, very difficult. And I don't really want to elaborate. The, the word's so clear and plain that we don't need to. I know people try to explain it away. They say, that's not, God didn't really mean that, or God never said that. That's the Apostle Paul, and we all know he's a bigot. You know, so yeah, those are the things that you hear. These are the things that people will say. They've got to say something because it's so clear and so plain that God gave them up to vile and shameful practices against nature itself. And, and let me say this. Just, just think about the alphabet soup that we live in today. You know? It used to be called homosexuality. 
Okay, that, that's, that's been the word that's been used forever. But language is powerful. So you say lesbian and gay. That doesn't sound so bad, you know? Sounds better. Okay, so we use lesbian and gay. So LG. But then B comes along, you know? And then T. Then Q. And uh, if you, and I don't advise you do this, I did it, uh, but if you want to just keep on going, you can find other letters, but they usually don't use them anymore. It's usually just plus. L, G, B, T, Q, plus. Because there's a whole lot more. You know? So where does it stop? I don't know where it stops. And I don't know when it will stop. It will go on as long as God allows. That's what's going to happen. And um, then something will happen eventually. But I'll just say this. Today's current gay pride is nothing to be proud about. God's word says against nature, shameful and vile. So flying the flag is not flying the flag that's pleasing God. Now, you can get angry. I don't know who's watching on the internet. You can get angry, but I'm sorry. What can we say? It's what the scriptures say. So, I'm sorry, but I'm not sorry. Okay. But as I say all of that, I do want us to be careful. Because it's easy to foment hatred, and that's not what we're supposed to do. We are not supposed to be haters like that. And we'll talk about more in a moment. But uh, you can see right from God's word what it says. And our modern thinking doesn't like it. I'll give you one more non-biblical example. So take it for what it's worth. Take the non-biblical for what it's worth. But there was a time, and this is from Psychology Today, the magazine. Okay. And they were talking about the quote-unquote evolution of our thinking of how this has gone. And they said that, uh, really, it, it was just standard operating procedure to believe that homosexuality was a sin. That's just the way it was. And then it was decided, well, no, maybe it's not a sin. It's a mental illness instead. So then, for about 100 years, it became a mental illness that people talked about. But uh, in 1973, uh, there was a vote, as they were doing the DSM, there was a vote amongst the psychiatrists uh, of what they ought to do about this and what should they say about homosexuality. And 5,854 of the psychiatrists said it should be removed from the DSM, that it's not right. But there were still 3,810 that wanted to retain it. Okay. So they took a vote. <laughs> the majority is not always right, by the way. But they took a vote here. Okay, so... What are we going to do? There's such a substantial, you know, group. So they say, okay, it's not a mental illness. We'll call it a disorder. Okay. Uh, this is from Psychology Today. And then in 1987, they said, okay, it's out of here. We won't talk about it anymore. Okay. Verse 28. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. So I think we've said enough about that. But now we have to go on. These are not the only sins that exist. Okay, look at verse 29. 
And again, I'm not going to explain these things. You'll understand it. Being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness, their whispers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. And that's not saying that this is what homosexuals are. Okay. This is what sinners are. Okay. All sinners. This is what sinners are. And maybe not every one of those things, but sinners nonetheless. Who, verse 32, knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. So I ask you a question. Can people practicing these sins be saved? Let me put it a different way. We've been talking about homosexuality a lot. Can a homosexual be saved? And the answer is, of course. Of course, absolutely. It's not the unpardonable sin. Remember Jesus said it was harder for a rich man to, to, to enter the kingdom of heaven than for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. The disciples took that very, very literally like they should have, and they said, then who can be saved? And the answer that Jesus gave is, with men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. And you know what? It's true for this huge, large list of sins that started with homosexuality, but then goes on to so many other things. We could look at each sin individually, but I don't think that's the purpose here. I think the purpose is to draw a picture of the culture, the anti-God culture that we see. And there's an example. And this isn't the only place in Scripture that has a list of sins like this, okay? Uh, there, are, there are a number of places that we could go to that we'd find other lists of similar sins, you know. So we're talking about unrighteousness. Unrighteousness that becomes the standard of what is acceptable. It's on your outline, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. And this is where Corinthians really comes in handy again, just like chapter 1 did. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11 do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites. And by the way, I'll just make a little note there. Um, if you read on the ESV, it, it doesn't have two different words there. But if you look at your note in the ESV, it, it does admit that there's two different Greek words that are being used. And so, it, you know, it, it's not a problem, but that's just so that you understand Verse 10, nor thieves, nor covetousness, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And here's the point. And such were some of you. Okay. Such were some of you. That, that should encourage us. Such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of Jesus by the Spirit of God. So my friends, hatred is not what we need. The gospel is what we need. Society needs you and I. 
to stand up for the gospel. And as we stand up for the gospel, what we're going to tell men and women is there's hope for you. You need to turn from your sin, whatever that sin happens to be, and embrace the Lord Jesus Christ as the only savior of sinners. The apostle Paul called himself the chief of sinners. And some people, how could Paul be the chief of sinners? I mean, Paul is probably the greatest Christian that ever lived. No, he's the chief of sinners. Why? He tells us why. Because I persecuted the church of God. And he was. He was a persecutor. And God saved him. It's not an accident. Because the message of the gospel is God saves sinners. Jesus Christ himself said, I didn't come to bring salvation to the self-righteous but to bring sinners to repentance. So it's not hopeless. But, so, but the Bible says God gave them up. God gave them up. God gave them up. You know, really we should take that in a societal sense. Because God is basically saying, yeah, go ahead. Do what you wish, you know. Even, you know. But in a personal sense, Christ says, Come unto me, all you that are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Because the way of the transgressor is hard. Sin will always lead to despair. And ultimately, sin will lead to what? Death. Yeah, sin will lead to death. But God provides life to those who will come to him in faith and trust in Jesus Christ and trust in his work. So the answer is, don't try to clean yourself up. Come to Christ. Let Christ do the washing. What does it say? It says, but you were washed. You were sanctified. What does sanctified mean? Why does he put sanctified in front of justification? We're going to see some of these things um, as we talk about the order of salvation and such as we go through here. But why would he put sanctified here? Because sanctified in this context means we were set apart. So you were washed. You were set apart by God and justified. And what does that mean? It means that because Jesus Christ bore your penalty, he says you're not guilty. And he gives you his righteousness. So there you go. I'm not trying to put a guilt trip on anyone for sin. But I'm begging you to admit your sin. Repent of your sin. Admit that God is right and that you're wrong. And come to Christ. And you know what? He will save to the uttermost all that come unto God by him. And what a blessing that is. That whatever you've done can be erased. I actually I had a letter conversation with a man that's a murderer this week. The murderer. He killed somebody. And he really did it. And he's in prison. And um, he's a Christian. Yeah, he has to pay for that. He has to pay for what he's done. You know? And he hopes one day to get out. You know? He hopes that will happen. He'd been sentenced to 25 years to life. He'd, li he'd like to get out. He was a very young man. But yeah, a murderer. And it was wicked and vile. And now he's a Christian. And 
I, should, I would say, you should hear him talk. But I couldn't hear him talk. Well, I did talk to him on the phone many, many months ago. But uh, you should see him right. <laughs> and the things that he says, and the way that he's looking to God, and the way that he's trusting in God. You know, some people will tell you, it's not fair that somebody could murder somebody and then turn around and become a Christian and go to heaven forever. And the person that he murdered goes to hell. That's not fair. That's not right. Let God be true and every man a liar. And why would you be upset at that? You should be glad that there's hope for you, that you can come to Christ no matter what you've done. It's his work and his grace. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, an uncomfortable passage, I'll admit. I'll admit to not being comfortable preaching it. But we've got to preach the truth, Father. And it certainly goes against our society and culture today. But let that not matter. Let God be true and every man a liar. And the gospel is such good news. Because it tells us that no one will be rejected that comes to Christ. Father, if there be anyone here today that doesn't know the Savior, I pray that just that thought alone would be enough for you to move in their hearts, to seek you, to look to you. Father, we know they won't do that unless your spirit moves, but we ask your spirit to move. And we ask that men, women, even children, would come to you in faith believing, not trusting in themselves or the work of their hands or anything they've done in the past or will do in the future, but instead trusting Jesus only. And we would give you thanks for that. Lord, help that to happen, we pray. It's happened to so many that are here today. May it continue, Father, to happen and happen. And it will continue to happen until you finally come and uh, end this world as we know it and set up your eternal kingdom. We thank you for that. May Jesus Christ be praised in his name. Amen.